1: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: Now you'll hear some about sovereignty and I'm going to talk a lot about Israel today and for some of you that's going to be kind of a a history lesson to you, and I hope to kind of bring some technicolor and surround sound to it. I don't have the flashy pictures, but I do have great truth I'd like to give to you on this. But here's what I want you to remember more than anything. While we will talk about Israel and how they're so special and privileged, and we are going to talk about the heart of Paul and how he wanted to reach his own countrymen, let alone the world, I want you to hear more than anything, and that is a God who loves the world, a God who is sovereign, a God who has an eternal plan. Ever since man fell in the garden, salvation then was provided earthly as now everything was set in motion for Jesus Christ to come to die and rise again. But the plan of salvation didn't start there. According to 2 Timothy, it was already in the mind of God before it was ever now on earth, before man ever fell. And so all along there's been a particular plan, and I hope that this study might help you. So let's just kind of do a little quick little overview of chapter 9, 10, and 11. It'll be so quick, you'll have to be here to really get the meaning of what I'm really saying here. But I think it might be something that'll be worthy for you. And that is, chapter 9 is going to talk about God's sovereignty, of course. But it's going to talk about why He chose Israel as very special people, and all the nations need to realize that, as significant as Israel was. Chapter 10 is going to talk about God is just. So again, it's talking about the character of God, and that's what I want you to know. And it's going to talk about how God gives all of us the opportunity to be saved, obviously the Gentiles, but also the Jews too. And that true Jews are those who know Christ is their Messiah and their Savior. Chapter 11 is God is faithful, and how God is faithful to all those people and that he can truly be trusted. And I really like that. So let's just pause for a moment. You know, you go about your life, and we have been given so much freedom in America that sometimes we take some of that freedom for granted, that we can come and go and do what we want. But if we were dropped in some other countries, we would realize that our freedoms are very, um, uh, are very shallow over there. And some of them, they might give a pretense to freedom, but there's so much war going on that there really isn't freedom in actuality there. We have all of that. And sometimes as Christians, because we have our freedom, we still forget, though, that God is large and in charge. And he is either permitting things to happen, as God has done many times in Scripture, or he has prescribed, he's made things happen. Because all of it, whatever it is, even the unrighteous and the wicked will worship God, will give God the glory. Everything is about him. So I would like for us that no matter what you're going through today, I never want you to forget that God is there He cares for you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a plan that you would want to discover it. And once you do, you want to live it to the fullest. And perhaps that would be just living a life of honesty, decency, integrity for his glory and for his privilege. And I hope that would help you. Again, chapter 9 is going to talk about Israel in the past. Chapter 10 is Israel in the present, at least in the Bible days and today. And then Israel in the future is chapter 11. And that might help you out a little bit. But now we have to answer that question, why and who did he choose and what about all these Jews and how did this all happen? So maybe the best thing to do would be to answer some questions first. The question would be, who did he choose to be his very special people? Now I put in your outline, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Would you just look at it in your outline? It goes like this. It says, for you are a holy people to the Lord, your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, basically you've been chosen to be set apart for a purpose, and you belong to me. That's what it's saying. Now, what's interesting, if you had the time, I would encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, the verse I just gave you. But read the verse before it and all the chapters ahead of that in Deuteronomy. Then read verse 3 and all the verses in the chapters that follow it. And what you're going to see is this verse is spoken to the Jews in the midst of a longer conversation God is having with them, basically a monologue. And he is saying, Look at these other nations. I don't want you to act like them. I don't want you to worship their God. I want you to be different because you are holy. You are set apart for a purpose to bring glory to me. And then he says, and it follows, he says, Now don't act like them. Don't think like them. Don't be like them. In fact, I want you to separate yourself from them. Why? They're not special to me. You are special to me. So when you think of the Jews, no matter how you may have been treated by a Jewish person, no matter what you might be thinking about Jewish people because you've been given some false information, I do want you to know that they are the apple of God's eye. They are God's chosen people. And even though right now they're in a different place than they were in the past and what they will be in the future, they still very much belong to God. That's who they are. The bigger question is, is how did the Jewish nation really get started? So if you hold your place in Romans for just a moment, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, just three verses. I want you to see how this whole shebang got going. Now Deuteronomy 14 is kind of like saying after the fact, they were already Jews at that time, they were already Israelites at that time, and so how did it all get started? And in the starting of the Jewish people, that kind of sets in direction our whole discussion over the next couple of weeks or three weeks or so as we go through 9, 10, and 11. So have you found Genesis? The It's uh, the first book in your Bible, chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Now listen very carefully. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, that's the operative phrase, in you, Abram, all the families, now and in the future, will be blessed, and it's because through Abram, there would be an entire group of people, whole nation of people, which would be known as Israelites. Now, some of you that are very new at this, let me explain how the name Israelite really got started. You had Abraham, all right, now the Lord sets things in motions in Genesis chapter 12. There are other little covenants like that that were made, but basically that's where it began. Abram had a couple of kids, and for the most part right now, we're going to look at Abraham, Isaac. So he had Isaac. Isaac had another son named Jacob. So Jacob's grandfather was Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet in Jacob's time, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Why? Because that name means fighter, or God's fighter, or fighter against God. Now as I thought about that, that's quite interesting that his name would be Israel and fighter against God. If you go through Scripture historically about the Jews, you're going to find that there are times that they were very passive, they yielded to the Lord, they yielded to His commandments, and God just opened up the windows of heavens and blessed them. At the same time, there were times that the Jews decided to fight God. They wanted to do what they wanted, when they wanted to do it. Hence, you have the book of Judges that really talk a lot about it, and you could read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and you can see all about it. So they became fighters. So that's where the name Israel came from, the person, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, so we call them Israelites. And that kind of goes back to that. That's who they are, and they're very, very special people. Now, I know that we have two or three verses at the beginning of chapter 9. I'd like to set those aside for just a moment, because I want to get into these special privileges that the Jews had, so I can keep you in the same context, understanding then why Paul said what he said in verses 1, 2, and 3. So if you will, follow along. Pick it up, if you will, at verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 4. And we're going to look at what privileges do these Jews have as God's chosen people that go all the way back to Abram. At one time, Abram was a Gentile. God says, I've got to get my plan in motion. I'm selecting Abraham. And then through his family, the whole world will be blessed because the Savior will come through that family, and they will be the Jews or Israelites. All right. Pick it up now at Romans chapter 9, and you'll see this in verse 4. It says, Who are Israelites, which I've just explained to you, to whom belongs the adoption as the sons. If you'd like, I'd like you to look at eight different privileges that the Jews had that Paul now is speaking to. So that when you now drive by the synagogue here, As you drive down the Pali into town of Nuwana, you'll see on the right one of the largest synagogues in Hawaii is just a mile from our church right here. And you'll know that on Saturday, it's loaded with Jews or maybe Jewish converts, whatever, but mostly Jews. To that nation, they were given great privileges. If you want to know what they are, this is a very important list. Because in this list, you're going to see a very sovereign God that says, what I'm doing with this nation is still to bring glory back to me for an eternal purpose which you and I fit into. So it's not just a history lesson. We are very much a part of this. So it talks about being adopted as sons. Well, the Jewish people are really often referred to as God's people, and sometimes they're even looking to God as somewhat as their father. In fact, even the Scripture says that this is my begotten son, not referring to Jesus, but in the Old Testament, even referring to the Jews is being adopted, very much a part of that family, and how important that really is. I thought about it as I went through that statement, adopted. And I did it basically because Carol and I have officially, legally adopted two boys, and we took in a Hanai girl, became a Hanai daughter in our life, and it's neat to stay in contact with with those that we can, that kind of thing. But when we adopted them, the, the adoption day was a particular day, then they had their birthday. We celebrated their birthday, but on their adoption day, we call that a happy day because that was a very special day. We don't refer to their parents that brought them into the world through, you know what, all right? We don't refer to them as mom and dad. We refer to them as a birth mom and a birth dad. The kids have always called us mom and dad from the very beginning. We didn't get them as infants either. We got them at seven years old and nine years old and 17 years old was a girl. So having all of them, they immediately called us parents. We never did adopt a girl. Some of you know the story and you wonder, why didn't you adopt a girl? We don't love her as much as we do the boys. Let me go on. No, that is not it. That is not it. She was 17, going to be 18. And um, she said, well, if you do this, you got to go through all of that and I'll take your last name. And I could be married in two years. Maybe we just ought to hold off on that. I said, if that's what you like, that's fine with us. We never really adopted her. She's 35 and still not married. All right. So she didn't take our last name. Now, I said all that to say this. So, as parents now, not birth parents, but parents of these kids, I put down a list of what I might call special privileges that those kids would have as being adopted by Stan and Carol. They're very simple, and they fit into the same thing. Number one, they had privileges. There are certain things that my kids will have from Carol and me that other kids won't have. We'll love other kids. We'll help other kids. But here's one thing that other kids won't have from us. We will not discipline other children. First of all, it probably could be very illegal for us to do that in any way. We love our children. They're our children. So a privilege is for us to give them unique training in a filial relationship, a family relationship. In addition to that, they can count on mom and dad providing for them. So if they have a basic, that's the key, not providing them the latest iPad and all that, but their basic needs of life, they will never go without food. Clothing, shelter. I'm talking about the, the, the physical things. They will always be provided for. They will be provided with a family that is functional as possible. As you know, every family has issues. But they'll be provided with a family. We'll, in Hawaii, we would say a sense of place. You know that term? There's a sense of place when they are with us that this is their home. So they have a lot of provision that they will get, spiritual direction, etc. The next that they would get is protection. Now, we'll protect everybody, but if you're normal, I would think that if you're in a burning building, your first thought will be, is my family safe? Now, obviously, if you know that they're safe, you might not go after them as much as you will the one whose body is already on fire to drag them out. I get all of that. But a normal parent will say, where are my kids? I've got to make sure they're safe. That's what normal people do when you have children. And so you have what we call that special bit of protection. And, of course, we'll protect our kids. In addition to that, we make promises to our kids. And so those promises have to be well thought out because we will be held to the promise that we make. And so some parents don't make promises, and then the kids live in instability because they don't live in a home where they can count on a promise being kept. And so when you make a promise, make sure you can keep the promise of whatever it is. So adoption comes with privileges. It comes with promises. It comes with protection. It comes with all the things that will make that a home that's healthy enough, conducive to nurture someone to full growth. The Jews had all of that. God, their father, so to speak, not in a literal father sense, would provide for them, would protect them would make promises to them, which we'll see in just a moment. So they could count on that, where other nations, we see nowhere in Scripture that God would do that, except His people, the Jews, historically speaking. Now, as a little parenthesis, like they say, a little sidebar thing going on here, when you trust Christ as Savior, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that, "...we too are a people of His possession." If you have a King James that says peculiar people, and some people think peculiar means weird, but not in the Greek. It means you are special and owned by God, which means all that that I mentioned about the Jews, you have that, except now you can say God is my father, he will provide for my needs, he will protect me when I need protection, he makes promises that will be there for me, I have privileges in this family that God has, it's all wonderful when you trust Christ as Savior. So number one privilege that the chosen people of God, the Jews, have would be adoption. They're adopted as sons of God. Number two, there's that divine glory. Now, I don't think I have to convince you that God is a glorious God. But this glorious God is not so far into heaven that we have to rub the belly of some idol or that we have to bow down to some um, earthly animal thinking that maybe there's some glory into that. And as nice as God's creation is, nothing can take the place of Almighty God in all of His glory. In fact, it was referred to as the Shekinah glory. And that goes way back into the Old Testament. The Jews know all about that kind of stuff because he revealed his glory to him in this fire. He revealed himself in this great cloud that would guide him by night and by day. And then when they set up the tabernacle, the glory was there of the Lord. And then when they built the temple, the glory of the Lord was there. And that was a sign of the glorious God in their very presence with them. No other nation on the earth, no other Gentile group had that privilege of the only God in his presence for them to experience and to see. So we have the divine glory, but it doesn't stop there. Number three, it goes a little bit further. It talks about the covenants. Now, the covenants is really simply this. A covenant is an agreement that is made between God and man, and I'll say it a little bit more definitively this way. It is an agreement that God made to man, all right? So it is an agreement. It's like a promise, but more than a promise. It's an agreement. It's a covenant. Now, um, are you still with me? Are you tracking? Because I'm going to get a little technical now. So take a deep breath because I want to talk a little bit about covenants here. There are six covenants in the Bible. Out of those six covenants, I would like to refer to five of those covenants are what we're going to call the covenants that were given to the Jewish people specifically. The one covenant that was not was a covenant that was given before the Jewish people, ever, before Abraham was ever born. The first covenant was the Noahic covenant. A covenant, again, is a promise that God makes to mankind. Now, out of the six covenants, six of those covenants, remember I said five of them were for the Jewish people. Out of the six covenants, All of those are promises that God made to man that will not change. They're unilateral. They're given to man except for one. I will tell you which one that is in a moment. So in other words, this is a one-way covenant to God. It is not one of those, if I, if you, I will. No, God says, I'll do it. The Noahic covenant said this, that once he destroyed the earth, all the people and all the animals, he destroyed the earth. He said, I will never bring a flood to destroy people again. Now, is that the Noahic Covenant? No, it's not. Because we have had floods. We've had floods that come through here and wiped out part of our lower level right here. You know people are in flood. There's a fireman who died on the mainland in Oklahoma in a flood. So that means, oh, see, there is no God. The actual verse says that he will never destroy all of man and all of his creation again by a flood. The operative word is not that he won't have floods, not that people won't drown, but that he will never wipe out the earth again with that kind of a flood. And he never had and he never will. The second one is a little bit uh, further along, and that one is the is the uh, promise that he made to Abraham. That's called the Abrahamic Covenant. That Covenant basically says you're going to be a people group, you're going to have a land through your people group, is going to come the Messiah that will be the Savior of all people. Now, I don't have time to unpack this, but you could see it in Genesis. If you really want to do a good study on it, open the book of Galatians, besides Romans, and study it. A good companion book to Romans is Galatians. That would be maybe a good second book I should teach after this. And that'll tell you that through Adam excuse me, through Abraham, is the promise of the people and the Messiah. And in a sense, the very first missionaries were the Jews to tell people about this Messiah. Well, it moved from that to another covenant, and that covenant was the one that um, is a little bit different than the others. And this is what we call the Mosaic Covenant. This is the one covenant that was made to man, and it was the law, and through that it was to reveal to man that you have sinned, you have fallen, and you need a Savior. But it was one that was then rescinded. Often it's referred to as the Old Covenant, And then you have the new covenant, I'll get to that in a moment. If you don't get all of this, download it and listen to it again, and I can talk to you privately afterwards if you'd want. So you have what we call the Mosaic Covenant. And that's, of course, when he received the laws from the Lord, and that was the covenant with the Lord, giving Moses these laws for the people to live by, not to go to heaven, not to be spiritual, but this was a way to begin to see who God is and to see how bad they are and they can't keep it. In the midst of that, you have what we call the Priestly Covenant. And that was a covenant that was given because one guy who is the grandson of Moses' brother, which would be Aaron, the grandson saw so much wickedness, he ran after some wicked people and he did something here in the name of the Lord to bring judgment there in his obedience to the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, through you, now I'm going to set up a royal priesthood that's going to follow you and it'll always be a part of your, your family. That goes back to the Levitical family as well. So we... And through that, you have Jesus Christ again, who will be our high priest. That also is a covenant that will never change. Jesus Christ is the high priest of that covenant. Well, you move away from the priestly covenant, and you come now to the Davidic covenant. Now, the Davidic covenant has a lot with that too, but primarily it's saying this to David. David, here's my promise to you. Because you followed me with all of your heart, and again, David is a part of the whole covenant, Jewish-Israelite culture going all the way back to Abraham and the Messiah has to come through him. He said, on your throne your son will sit. Then he said there will always be a throne for the children of Israel. Now, not so much practically because we saw them go into you know, captivity and all of that. But through Adam, eventually there will be an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom. And through David, I should have said David, is going to come the Lord again. So all of this is God showing himself how important the Jewish people are through promises that he made. There's one more, and that's called the New Covenant. Now that covenant is one that he made that basically is going to happen in the future. Now, it's happening now, but it's in the future. When Jesus Christ came, he died and he rose again, and that set up a very new promise. And that would be anyone who would believe in Christ would then become a blood-bought, born-again believer. And for the Jewish people now, since that's their part of their covenant, means that as the Jews have been set apart, in the future kingdom, you're going to see this confluence like all these rivers coming together. The priests, the name of Christ, the Jews, they're going to get into their land, they're going to have their land, a kingdom will be established, and again, they'll be the happy, their after, etc. So these are the covenants that God has made. He never made those promises to any other nation but to the Jews. They are God's chosen people. Now again, I'm building toward the end of the message. This is very important for you to understand why verses 1, 2, and 3 were so important to Paul. Let's go a little bit further. I'll pick up a little bit of speed here. Won't have to park as long. It says the giving of the law was given to them. The word of God was not given to anyone else, particularly in the Old Testament. The law was given, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, all the the law was given. In fact, Scripture says that on one of those um, tablets that the Lord actually wrote the word with his finger, when you're reading Galatians, you're going to read the word, and the Scripture says this. So now you have God now speaking, and he speaks it, And it's written, and he prompts the heart of those who are writing it. So now all the laws, all that is written, and I'd like to extend it to today, all of Scripture was given to the Jews and given for today. And this is not a new concept, because in Romans chapter 3, Paul said the very same thing. You know, for the longest time, I used to say that uh, the Word of God is God's mind on paper. I'd like to say this, the Word of God is also God's voice on paper. Now, why is that important to say it that way? That means anything that's written by another man is really not the Bible unless it's biblical, unless it passes the test of canonicity. But if we say this is the very voice of God, that would mean anything that you hear from others that either said, God told me this, or maybe you even hear a voice, you need to run whatever that person said, God said, or whatever voice you heard, you think you heard, you run it through the grid of Scripture. Now again, Scripture was given to the Jewish people, specifically the laws that were given. And how beautiful that is that we can say thank you to the Jewish people that God then gave the word through. And then it says service of God. It says in scripture and the temple service. Actually, the word temple is not in the Greek. So it says the service was given to them. And what might that be? Well, the reason it's translated with the word temple in there is because what the Jews were given was a responsibility to set up the tabernacle, tear down the tabernacle. They were the ones given to who gets the right to do the worship, who can come in, how far they can go, when they're to worship, what time of the year, what they're supposed to bring for worship. Everything that dealt with serving God in the Old Testament was given to the Jews and how to do that. And so they call it The service of God was given to the Jews. This is how you are to serve the Lord, and you're to do it this way. Even the Gentiles that came in, they could only go so far, and no further. Number six, the promises. Now, generally, this would be all the promises of God, but more specifically, I believe, I really believe this strongly, that the difference between the covenants earlier on in the passage and here the promises is that these promises, according to many other verses, I'm I'm speaking fast because I'm running out of time and you guys need to get this, but these promises more specifically deal with the promise of the coming Messiah that was given to the Jewish people. And we will define it this way, that Jesus the Messiah would be the prophet, priest, and king of kings and the Lord of lords. He would be the redeemer for Israel spiritually speaking, all that, that promise was given to them and now to us by extension because it was given to the Jews. So really what we got was a promise to them that now we have today and how important that is. So I look to the Jews and I say, again, you are a very chosen people group.